So, we are going to begin, because I have a lot to say, and so does the Lord. Um, all right. Everybody doing okay? Yes? Does everybody know what they're getting into? Okay. This is uh, the second equip class. It's called Living, Living Prophetically. Living Prophetically. And the uh, kind of the main title is uh, Misconceptions of the Prophetic Ministry. But if I could throw a title on there myself, it's uh, How to See. How to See. I think if we're going to live prophetically, we've got to know. Being prophetic is all about seeing. And so if we're going to live prophetically, got to know how to see, right? Yes. Okay, so how to see living prophetically, misconceptions of the prophetic ministry. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for how amazing you are, God. Uh, I thank you for a word in due season. And I ask that you would bless it, God. I ask that you would multiply it. I ask that uh, the presence of the Lord would be so strong in this place that revelation has to happen. In Jesus' name. Okay. What does it mean to be prophetic? What does it mean to be prophetic? That is the first question on the list. Being prophetic means that the nature in which you respond to a matter is in accordance with what God says and not the present state. Prophetic people build their stances on, um, excuse me, prophetic people do not build their stances on facts. They live by truth. It's good. You can write those all down. That's okay. Uh, being prophetic means that the nature in which you respond to a matter is in accordance to what God says and not the present state. Prophetic people don't build their stances on facts. They live by truth. Prophetic people do what is not understood to get results that are not seen. Prophetic people do in the physical an act that agrees with the activity of the spiritual. I'm just kind of giving you a few definitions. Take which ones you like. Being prophetic is seeing his strengths in our weak places. Prophetic people do not rely on opinions, confirmations, or preferences. They pronounce the coming of change. As prophetic people, we are to see past people's circumstance and call them into their destiny. That's what it means to be prophetic. That's what we're called to do. Hey, Kenny. <laughs> I don't know, man. Just saying hi. What is prophecy? Everybody all right? I'm going to read these off because we got to go. I mean, yeah. Prophecy is a prediction, an utterance inspired by a prophet, the gift of enforcing revealed truth. I like that definition. The gift of enforcing revealed truth. God shows you something, you speak it, and it's enforced by a spirit. Pretty cool. Prophecy, sorry, anybody? Okay. Prophecy is simply hearing, feeling, or seeing what God's heart on a matter is and putting it into words. So hearing, feeling, or seeing God's heart on a matter and putting it into words. Prophecy is a message from God. Are you guys good? Okay, I'm, I'm just making sure. Prophecy is used for edification, exhortation, and consolation, okay? I know those are long words, but that's straight out of the Bible in 1 Corinthians 14, I think. Edify, edification. Edify means to teach, to build up, or to improve. Exhortation or exhort means to strongly urge, guide, or direct. Consolation, console, means to bring out of sadness or encourage. It's pretty cool. So you could say prophecy is used to build up, 
guide, and encourage. Okay? Am I going too fast for the note takers? A little bit? They'll have it up in online. Um, yeah, I'm, I've got to go, man. I've got to go. I heard that I had exactly an hour and 15 minutes to end, so we're going to get it done. What is a prophet? Question number three. What is a prophet? A prophet is someone who delivers a message from God. A prophet is the member is a member of the fivefold ministry called to equip the saints. Yeah, you're going to have to do like shorthand notes like prophet called to equip. Like that. By the way, after the class, if you want my notes, I, I can send them to you. There's a bunch of pages, so I didn't want to print out 160 pages. And so um, I can send you these, though, just so you know, if you want it. Uh, okay. Last one. A prophet gives direction. This is good. Insight, foresight, and oversight to the body of Christ. Prophet gives direction. Yeah, I don't, I don't speak very loud. Thank you for turning that up. Insight, foresight, and oversight to the body of Christ. I'll say it again. A prophet gives direction, insight, foresight, and oversight to the body of Christ. All right. What is the difference between prophets and the gift of prophecy? There are a difference. There is a difference. There are a difference. Okay. The difference between prophets and prophecy. There is a gift of prophecy and the office of a prophet. There's two different things. There's a gift of prophecy, office of the prophet. A, excuse me. A prophet. Okay. Here we are. The, pro, the gift is for everyone and of the Holy Spirit. So the gift of prophecy is for everybody and is from the Holy Spirit. The office of a prophet. Let me give you the scriptures real quick on that. First Corinthians. On, on uh, the gift is for everyone and it's from the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. And then also 1 Corinthians 14, 1, 1 through 6. That'll tell you a little bit more. These are all good passages to read, and I'll give you some stuff at the end that'll tell you passages. And then also in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 31... And verse 39, Paul commands us to prophesy. So it's for everyone. That's the point of that, is that prophecy is for everyone. The gift of prophecy is for everyone, and it's from the Holy Spirit. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you can have the gift of prophecy. All right, the office of a prophet is for some and is from Jesus Christ. That's the office of a prophet, which is in part of the fivefold, which is in Ephesians 4.11. And then also in Ephesians 2.19 through 22, it tells you about how the foundation of the church was built on the prophets, apostles and prophets. So it's a gift to the body. Ephesians 4, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints, Right? so that the body could all work together. That's, that's how that goes. If you didn't know, there is an office of the prophet. All right, we got through the facts. Turn to somebody and say, yay. yay. All right. <laughs> Good job, guys. Ephesians 4, I want to read this to you real quick. Okay, he says... Ephesians 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of... Anybody have their Bible? 
Ephesians 4, 7. Who's the gift from right there? According to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, he, When he ascended on high, he led, captives, uh, led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of earth? He who descended himself also has ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service the building, to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. All right, so now do we see, do we kind of see the difference between a prophet and prophecy? There is a difference. So we learned about what it means to be prophetic, right? Basically, we see what's going on in the spiritual realm, and we agree with it in the, in the physical realm. All right? So then prophet or prophecy is basically, bottom line, is when God speaks through you, right? Prophecy, prophecy is delivering a word from the Lord, okay? And it's used to build up, right? What were the other ones? Build up, guide, and encourage, all right? A prophet is a member of the fivefold ministry who equips the body to do the work of ministry, so maybe like they are what we would call a pastor in the church. They help run the church to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Go into all the world, right? That's where it's at. All right. And then prophet. And then we talked about the difference between prophecy and the office of a prophet. All right. Common misconception. Number one, it is not for today. This is a very common misconception. I don't know how prevalent it is here, um, but that is a misconception. For we know, and, and the people who believe that are, are what we call cessationalists. Cessationalists believe that the gifts of the Spirit um, or like the uh, Holy Spirit, anything to do with the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they believe that ended a after the uh, original 12 apostles. And so they believe that the Holy Spirit came, went through them to start the church, but then stopped and, and were left hopeless. And so that's cessation. And then the other side is continuationism. I don't know who picked that name, but continuationism basically believes that we believe that the Holy Spirit is a part of every believer's life today and the gifts of the Holy Spirit come with it. And so we can operate in those gifts. All right, so misconception number one, it's not for today. Ephesians 4, what I just read, it says right here, it says, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of Son of God to the mature man and measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Can anybody raise their hand and tell me without, you know, blinking an eye that we have achieved unity of the faith in the body of Christ? Then I would say... According to this scripture, that until has not happened, therefore prophets and prophecy is still for today. All right? I may not be arguing with you, but I am proving a point. <laughs> Cessationists believe that the gifts ended with 12 prophets. The Apostle Paul was not originally of the 12. So did he have the, the Holy Spirit? Did, I mean, does he, isn't he the one teaching us about the Holy Spirit? How could the, how could the gifts end with the 12 if Paul gets the gift, okay? He instructed us in Corinthians to seek the gift. Why would he tell us to seek the gift that there was no gift, right? I know, I, I feel like I'm arguing with nobody, but I'm, I, I just want to get it out. Okay. He told Timothy to teach the things that he was teaching them. In 2 Timothy 2.2, he told him to teach to men, to teach it to men, to teach it to men. So it did not stop with the apostles. All right, I don't have time for cessationalists. No, I'm just kidding. I do, I really do. The Great Commission is to go into all the worlds, teach the teachings of Christ. All right, well, first of all, Revelation 19.10 says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of 
prophecy. Okay, now, we're, now you're telling me Jesus is lying. Um, and to baptize them in the Holy Spirit, which is where the gift comes from. So, okay. Uh, Matthew 7, 16, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets in the last days. Let me tell you something. If they're all false, I don't think Jesus would have to warn you. If I'm making $21 bills, you're not going to be tricked, all right? You're going to know there's no such thing as a $21 bill. But, but there are false prophets, but that doesn't negate regular prophets, real prophets, right? So he said, what did he say? That you will know them by their fruit. How many of you know that verse was about prophets? It is. All right. And that is one misconception. Pretty good, right? Are we convinced? Prophecy is for today. God's only way of communicating, misconception number two. God's only way of communicating is through his word, through the Bible. We just did a class on the Bible, did we not? We believe in the Bible. We believe in the authority of the Bible. But God's only way of communicating is not just through the Bible. All right? Hebrews 12, or Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is alive and active as in currently active. It's not the word of God is active today, currently. All right? Man, um, let me just say this about the, the, the word of God class we just did. Um, I hope you were here. And Corey did an amazing job. And if you need, before you need to learn this, you do need to learn about the word of God. Let me, let, me, let me say that. Because if you don't know God's heart from his word, you don't need to be prophesying. All right? You don't need, because you don't know what, to, you don't know the spirit that you're speaking of. That's what, that's what John said when uh, John, John, Jesus said when John and maybe it was James or Peter came up to him and, and they, they come to the city and he's like, let us call down fire. Because what, what had they seen? What did they know in the Old Testament of prophets? What did they do? They cast judgment, right? They called down fire on cities. They come to Jesus and he's like, they're like, let us call down fire on this city and, and just get rid of them. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You don't even know what spirit you're of. Was he saying they were of, you know, were they following the law? Yes. But were they following the New Testament? No, there was no grace. All right, so you have to know the word of God before you know this. And so if you didn't hear it, go back and listen to Corey's teaching on the Word of God is amazing. And let me tell you this, as somebody who um, has experienced it for myself, when you, when somebody in authority over you, when your leader tells you something, when he gives you an exhortation, when he imparts something to you, there's grace for you to experience it. Okay? So what happened for me is throughout these last three weeks during the Word of God class, I, had a, I actually had more of an experience in the Word of God. Why? Because I gave myself, submitted myself to the authority of the teaching, right? They came to the apostles and they submitted themselves to the teaching in Acts. Okay? They submitted, when I submitted to Corey and his teaching, my, my Bible reading time has come alive threefold. Anybody else? Raise your hand in the last three weeks. Look at that, Corey impartation is worth it. All right. So I just want to say that so that we're not negating the Bible when I'm talking about this. All right. Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Proceeds literally means currently coming. Okay. So every word that is currently coming from the mouth of God, he still speaks. Every day is, is supposed to be lived in communion with God. Not just his written word, but his spoken word of well, as well. The word that proceeds, not precedes, out of the mouth of God insinuates that he is ever speaking. Let me just say this about the Bible. The, the word of God is meant to lead you to an experience with the author. All right? And so without, let me say this, without the Holy Spirit, this is a history book. But when you mix the word with the spirit, that's when you get truth. That's when it comes alive. That's when it's active. 
All right. All right. Everybody okay? <laughs> uh, I really am um, uh, happy to be here. <laughs> all, of God, all of the Bible is God, but all of God is not in the Bible. All right? Can we agree on that? Can we agree that all of God is not in this Bible, but this Bible is all God. We recognize this, all right? So there are things, there are many times, many experiences you will have that are not explained in a passage of Scripture. These parts of God, these are parts of God that has never, that weren't, uh, I guess, revealed and written down, all right? But you're called to a relationship, right, with a person, not a, not a, you're not just reading a book. All right, so building a case that, that he speaks outside of his words. I mean, outside of his, the Bible. All right. Um, all right. Abraham, I just want to tell you real quick, I like this uh, kind of illustration. Abraham had a word from God to sacrifice Isaac. Remember this? He had gotten the promise. He got a, first of all, he got a word from God that he was going to have a son. Then he got the son. Then he got a word of God to sacrifice the son. Did he not? But if Abraham did not just, it, it did not live by the proceeding word of God, he would have killed Isaac on the mountain. Because what happened? He takes him up there. He's about to kill him. And God's, God does what? He speaks and he says, stop. We need the proceeding word of God because God will bring you to the edge thinking you're going to jump and then you look over and, th and then he's like, stop, look over, there's a parachute. It's just the way it goes. Why? Because he's calling you closer to him, right? He's pulling you in with his word. He, he gets you with his word and then he pulls you in and says, let, let me tell you more about this word. It's insane. Because Jesus is the word. John 1.1. 1, 1. All right? Moses. Exodus 14. He's leading the Israelites out. They get to the edge of the water, right? He had a word to go. Did he not? He takes the word to go, and he goes. He gets to the edge of the water. He turns around. He's like, doesn't know what to say. The Israelites are screaming at him. You brought us out here to kill us. What are you thinking? We could have lived as slaves. Blah, blah, blah. Right? Moses says, real strong, like any good leader, he says, fear not, right? For the Lord will deliver us, <laughs> right? You ever been there? Mm-hmm. He says, fear not, and then what's the next verse say? The next verse says that God is speaking to him and says, Moses, why are you crying out to me? What does that mean? Moses stood in front of everybody, said, fear not, I'll be right back. And he went behind a rock and he cried out to God, what's going on here? I need a word on what to do. And then he comes back and God says, fear not. And he tells him to take his staff and he put it over the water, right? The proceeding word of God. God is still speaking. God is still speaking to his people, not to give them something to do, but to have a relationship with someone. If you eliminate new words, you take away intimacy and the ability to be a co-heir with Christ. You just become a chess piece in the game. Okay, you were meant to have relationship. And that's why God speaks to you still. All right, two down, one to go. This is the big one. Woo. Okay. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> everybody feeling better? I'm trying. I'm doing good. <laughs> Sam told me. Let's breathe a little bit because this is where I wanted to get. All right? So, misconception number three, and this is what I really want to talk about is how to see, right? It's God, misconception, the third misconception is that prophecy is God's way of communicating judgment or frustrations. 
It's a common misconception. In my opinion, the most common misconception. Because to me, it's more than a misconception. It's, it's a wrong mindset. It's like you are just don't even know that you're, you're wrong. Right? That's the misconception is that it's, communi- it's so he can communicate his frustrations or judgment. Old Testament prophets versus New Testament prophets. Old Testament prophets' role was to judge, pronounce, or anoint kings and leaders. They would respond to the unrighteousness of people and call for a punishment suitable of the crime. They, would be, they were to be God's enforcers, constant reminders of the law for those who followed it or did not. Prophets called for famines, droughts. They passed judgment on cities, rulers, lay people, and even creation. They used fire, nature, animals, excess, lack, all in the name of the Lord. They were always in response to the unrighteousness of people. The Old Testament, your devotion to God was based on your actions against his enemies. And that was just, and that was right. The law was the law. The law came and said, here's the rules you gotta follow to be with God. Prophets came to say, you're not good enough to get in, in the Old Testament. That's basically what happened. Prophets would come and say, there's the law, you're not following it, judgment cometh on thee, right? New Testament prophets, Matthew 5, verse 43 through 45. <laughs> Am I still going too fast, Clint? Just about right. Just about right. We're getting warmed up. We're getting loose. I really am not uh, super stiff. But (laughs) we'll get there. Some of this stuff, people, you just got to give them to them straight, let them process it, and not let me come in and joke around about it all and ruin you forever. I take it seriously. That's what I'm trying to say. I take this uh, seriously to the point where I I do want to give it to you and I want you to rightly divide it. Um, By the way, in the Old Testament, prophets were called to judge cities, nations, rulers, blah, blah, blah. In the New Testament, the only thing that we're told for prophets to judge is prophecy. It's interesting. So it says, let prophets judge, let one prophet prophesy, let two or three or whatever, however many others stand in, in judgment of the prophecy. Okay. Testing the spirits. Matthew 5, 43. Let's see what Jesus says. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So we have this contrast. Jesus comes in right off the bat and says, you've heard it said. Where did they hear it said? Where was that said before? What is he talking about? Love God, hate the enemies. Where did, he, where did they hear that said? From the law, right? Thank you. From the law, they heard it said. So it was God, was his plan before. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For God makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is the role of New Testament believers. This is the role of prophecy in our lives. If we're going to live prophetically, we've got to pray for those who persecute us, right? Love your enemies and know that God reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous. Because it's not your job to judge unrighteousness. Right? One of the best revelations of the job of the Holy Spirit I ever had was a 10-minute sermon that Chris did, Pastor Chris did, on the scripture that says that the Holy Spirit will come and convict you of righteousness and unrighteousness. Guess whose job it is? Holy Spirit. What's your job? Love your neighbor, or love your enemy. 
Persecute the, or pray for those who persecute you and know that God reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous. All right? How is that possible? I would like to submit to you that the cross was a prophetic act to all creation that Acts 2.17, whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Prophetic people don't treat people based on what they do. They treat them based on who they were created to be. That's what your job is. Not to treat people by what they do, but who they were created to be. The truth of grace. The truth is, guys, the world deserves to be judged. That's the truth. The world deserves to be judged. You deserve to be judged. I deserve to be judged. But God does not deal with us based on what we deserve. God deals with us based on what Jesus deserves. He became sin who knew no sin so that you could become his righteousness. So my only question is, why are we still holding sin against the world? Would you say that you are called to live prophetically? Yes. If you're living prophetically, will you hold the sin of the world against it? No, right? All have fallen short of the glory, but we are saved by what? Grace through faith and not by works, lest any man should boast. You don't deserve grace. You didn't earn grace. You can't buy grace. You can't steal grace. You can't even take grace. The only way is to receive it. That's it. What did they say? What did they, what did they, they came to Jesus and they said, how do we perform these miracles? And what did he say? Your only job is to believe in the one who came, right? The son of man. That's your only job. Why is that your only job? Because when you put your faith in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you're into the kingdom. The kingdom comes around you. And wherever you go, these signs follow. Follow. I'm not chasing signs. They're following me, right? That's grace. Grace is not just the unmerited favor of God, which we have well preached in our church, we know that grace is the unmerited favor of God. But it's more than that. It's actually the empowering presence of God. The grace is, grace is what empowers you. Grace is more than just favor, or, or it's more than mercy. Let me say that. There's mercy and there's grace. He says grace and mercy will follow you, right? There's two different things. Mercy, God had mercy in the Old Testament, right? He still has mercy. We're going to get there. But he had mercy in the Old Testament. What would they do? They'd, they'd come and they, they, were, they were sinful, right? He, they'd come and they'd sacrifice an animal and they, God would have mercy on them, right? And it would what? Get them righteous until what? Next time. Until next time. Until next time. And it was mercy. All you could do, because mercy doesn't empower you. It just releases you, right? And so you've been released. We need to know that. But now you have grace. So on this side... You're doing this. You're catching up. You're on, you're on defense the whole time. You're, you're just receiving mercy. God has always been merciful. If he wasn't, we wouldn't be here, right? But he loves you, and it's not about judgment. It's about getting you able to be in his presence because that's where you're called to be. All you, everything you're going to do on this earth is not so you can do it. It's because one day we're going to go and stand with the Father. He's not preparing you for a job. He's not preparing you for a new season. He's not preparing you for anything except for eternity with Him. That's what this side is. This is preparation for eternity with Christ. This is, this is us just getting closer so when we see Him, we'll know Him. And when we see Him, we'll be like Him. Right? Amen. So on that day when he comes and he says, we stand before him, right? On the, the great and terrible day of the Lord, right? 
the judgment day when he says, I will separate the sheep from the goats. And he says, he'll tell them to move to the right, those whoever are the sheep. And, and if you know God and you know his heart, you'll know which way to step. And you'll know he's calling for me, right? If you don't know, that's what makes it the great and terrible. It's great for those who love God. It's terrible for those who don't. So why are you still here? Why not just take you up as soon as you receive Christ? It's not because you're too um, sinful. Let me say that. It's not because you got to get things right. It's not like, okay, the Lord knows your day. And by the way, we're not going to tell you. So you better just live in fear and, and read your Bible, pray, don't sin. Because you don't know when the Lord's going to take you. And you got to come into his presence fully um, whole and sinless, right? That's not the case. The, it, it, he leaves you here because you're the hope of the world. Amen. Because even at the beginning, when the dark, co darkness covered the earth and he spoke light, right? Light came, right? And then man, it says in Romans that, that all of creation is in, is in darkness, is, is subjected to the evil one right, because of Adam's sin. And so it came back into darkness, and then Christ died, and he said what? In Matthew 5, five right before this, he says, I'm the light, or right after this, he says, I'm the light of the world. Does he not? But later in John, he says, you're the light of the world. What is the purpose of living prophetically? You've got to know how to see in order to prophetic, prophetically pronounce what God is saying, correctly at least. Because if you don't know that grace is for the righteous and the unrighteous, you'll prophesy judgment everywhere you go. You'll, you'll be living in the Old Testament. The, there is nobody who can hear your judgmental prophecy, your judgmental word, your words, whatever you want to call it, okay? Nobody can hear your judgments about their sin and come to Christ that way. They can't. Because then they're going to think, I've got to get it right in order to get there. And that is not grace. We good? So grace, mercy, and grace. Mercy and grace. Grace is much more than the unmerited favor of God. It is the operational power of God. Mercy makes you right. Grace makes you able. Okay? Mercy brings you out of the pit. Grace calls you into the palace. Mercy or grace is what fills the gap between where you are and where you are destined to be. That's grace. Grace says, I've called you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart of my choosing. Grace says, I knew you in your mother's room, womb and created you for good works in Christ. That's grace. Here's what you're created for. Here's where you are right now. And everything in between, luckily for you, is filled by grace. And now here you are walking it out with Christ. And what? You get rewarded for this. It goes even above just what you get. You get rewarded for this in eternity. However far you can get down the road, you get rewarded for this. The day of judgment is not just for negative things. It's also for good things. It's when he's going to give you your gifts. It's when he's going to bless you for all the things that you did. Right? It's great for a reason. We know it's terrible. Everybody in the world knows it's terrible. We've, we've had hell houses and all these things and I mean, there's a sign on the way I go home that literally says that God is going to judge America if we don't turn around, right? We know, everybody knows hell is coming. We don't talk about the great day. That's what you're called to prophesy, the great day. All right. All right, I'm still trying. Here's what I love about grace is when I think about it, when I actually receive grace and, and receive it, think about it. if you were going to receive a football, you now have it in your possession. 
Okay? When I have grace, when I receive grace, it, the natural response, when I think about how good God is to me and is going to be to me and how he forgot who I was and pushed that away, it automatically makes me say, thank you. It leads me to praise. So now what's happened? You show grace to the people around you. You walk into a dark place that deserves judgment. You go into the world and you prophesy good things. And grace, the grace that you prophesy, has now led that person directly into his courts, into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. They unknowingly, by receiving grace from you, as the light of the world, they go through the gates with thanksgiving. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Thank you. Into praise and say, gosh, God is way better than I thought. Do they know what they just did? No, they don't. But that's what happened. Now they're in the presence of the Lord and they can receive, they can choose to receive him in that moment. See what grace does? It gets you in the door. John 6, 28 and 29. Actually, I don't want to read that. But it's there. And it says something. I want to say this. We, we kind of steer from grace or we have, sometimes we, we run away from grace because we believe that it's going to lead people to, to the... Uh, realization that they can sin, right? That's a common misconception of grace. Because grace, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't excuse sin, it enables righteousness, all right? Grace is the operational power of God, all right? So that's a very common misconception um, and Paul addresses it multiple times in the Bible. Galatians 2.21. He says, For I do not step, stomp on the grace of Jesus Christ. Right? Romans uh, 6, verses 1 through 13. Or, I don't think that's right, actually. But it is Romans. Yeah, it is Romans 6. I love this passage. Romans is too good to be true. You should read Romans. Nope, it's Romans 5. Nope, that's Corinthians, so that's wrong. <laughs> there it is. Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. Right? So he's preaching this amazing message of grace to the Romans. He sins all through chapter 5. It's amazing. And he's talking about all this stuff, all grace and all favor and blah, blah, blah. And even though you, it doesn't matter how far you are that way, God's going to bring you back that way. You know, he goes through this whole thing. And then he says, well, I know what you're thinking. Should we just sin so that more grace comes? Okay, no. That's not the, that's not the purpose of grace. But here's our fear. Our fear is that we're going to preach grace so much that people are not going to know how wicked they are. And they're not going to turn to Christ. But God said that, my kindness will lead them to repentance. And it's through that process I just walked you through earlier. They don't realize it, but they end up in his presence. I could have been going this way, but I'm telling you, I, I'm a firm believer in this, and I say it all the time. People know the truth when you show it to them. They do. Why? Because it's written on their hearts. I don't believe people, people know the truth when you show it. I do believe people know the truth when you show it to them. I'm just letting you know. Okay. All right. If we are teaching true grace through discipleship, okay, then the people will, John 8, 32, know the truth and the truth will set them free. So we need to teach grace so that people will know the truth and the truth will set them free from what? The law of sin and death. The gift of God, Romans 6.23, is eternal life. The wages of sin are death. The gift of God is eternal life. Okay? The wages of sin, 2 Corinthians 5.17, anybody who is in, new, in Christ is a new creation. You, the old man has passed away. What does that mean? 
You're not anymore. You're not a sinner. You are a new creation in Christ, right? This has gone away. The new has come. Okay, your old nature would sin naturally. Naturally. When you're born, you have a sin nature, right? When you're in Christ, you have a new creation. You're a new creation. You have a new nature, okay? That puts your heart towards the throne. And now the wages, those who are in Christ, the wages of sin is death. You have to now work your way out and into sin because it's not your nature. So quit telling yourself that your nature is sin because it's not. Those who are in, new, in Christ are a new creation. You're no longer a sinner. Do you sin? Do you? Okay. Well, I don't know. You might sin, but what does it say in 1 John? If you sin, we have an attorney who is ever interceding for us in Christ. If you sin. Because why? Because it's not your nature. Your nature is now in Christ. You've got to see this. You've got to more than see it. You've got to accept it. Because you've got to renew your mind to know that I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I used to be a sinner and I got saved by grace. And now my nature is the nature of Christ. That's why Paul could say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's a pretty bold statement, Paul. <laughs> right? Paul, we don't know what to do. He whips out his, his notepad and writes him back. It's okay. Act like me. In fact, I'm going to send you Timothy because he knows how I act. And, he, and I act like Christ, so you act like him, and you'll be acting like me who's acting like Christ. It's amazing the lies we believe about grace. Grace makes you able. Grace makes you the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God is far more powerful than anything this world has to offer. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Go therefore and know I'm with you always. Right? To the end of the age. All right. We're doing good. We're doing good. 2 Corinthians 5.17. I just read it, but we're going to go through verse 21. Anybody get anything worth taking home? Yes. Teaching you how to see the world. You've got to see the world. got to see the world this way. You've got to look out and not see darkness as, a, as something to be afraid of. You've got to recognize the light in you. It's, the first, it's, the, it's not the first step. The first step is coming to the light. Second step is recognizing the light. Third step is taking the light. All right. I'm very serious. <clears throat> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. The behold, the new have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself Okay? You didn't do it. God reconciled you to him. Okay? <sighs> Through Christ and gave us, okay, we, we recognize that. Through Christ. And gave us what? What did he give us now? The ministry of reconciliation. Christ was in the cross, was reconciling you, and then gave you the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't just say, you're good now. Don't worry about it. I'll call you up in about 2000. And according to most prophets nowadays, uh, September 13th, 2015. Yeah. All right. He didn't say that. He said, now I'm giving you the ministry of reconciliation because I got to go. And it's actually better that I go. Because greater works will you do when the Holy Spirit comes. Is this making sense now? We have received the ministry of reconciliation. Let me keep reading. Namely, meaning, so we've received the ministry of reconciliation, meaning that God was in Christ. Re Ooh, this is, my, this is one of my favorite scriptures. Reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And he has committed to us the what? The word 
of reconciliation. Woo, anybody want to prophesy? The word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. As through God, as though, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Because he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. You know the scene of the cross? Pilate's got him, Jesus, and, and he comes before the, the Pharisees, and this just came to me, it's not him, but it's, it's important. The scene of the cross, right? There's this beautiful scene, and I'm always like super serious when I get to this point in the gospel. Like I'm like, I used to turn to Puck and be like, oh my gosh, I think they're gonna kill him. Like when I was about to read it, you know. I say it to him all the time. But, because <clears throat> I read scripture while I stand with Puckett. Um, so there's this scene, right? And they're going through and we know what's coming. So we're reading it and we're just doing our daily thing. And we're reading the, the word of God. And, and it comes to this point where we see Barabbas. Anybody know Barabbas? Barabbas. And it's like, and Pilate comes out and he says, look, on this day I release a prisoner because of the Israel's tradition, whatever Jewish thing it is, and you can either have Barabbas or you can have Jesus. And they say, oh, well, give us Barabbas because they wanted to crucify Jesus, right? So they say, give us Barabbas. This was not, like that wasn't God's last chance to get Jesus out of it, okay? God knew what he was doing. He was painting a picture for you. He's saying, I'm gonna let Barabbas, a murderer, free and show you right in front of your eyes that I'm going to release the captives and I'm going to pour out my wrath on my son who deserves it not so that I can treat because if I know because God knew in order to treat Barabbas like Jesus he had to treat Jesus like Barabbas do you see what's happening here there's this exchange We've got to recognize the exchange of grace. We're in Christ. God is begging through you, reconcile the world. He, it, Paul, for all I'm concerned, could have stopped right there and said, now it's your turn. Go and reconcile the world. How? How was he reconciling the world? Not holding their trespasses against them. That's how he reconciled the world not holding their trespasses against them. You can argue with it all you want. God did not ask you if they deserve judgment. He is not president of president. He is king of kings. And he made a declare. In Colossians, it says that all the decrees, the court sat for judgment, J Daniel 7, and all the decrees that were against the people of the highest one were canceled. There's actually a word in there that the, the decrees that is only used in court cases sat for judgment. Do they receive mercy? Do they receive grace? No, mercy and grace. Excuse me, judgment or mercy and grace. Pretty amazing stuff, is it not? This is how we have to see the world. This is what we come into and prophesy. Reconciliation reconciliation. I'm not going to hold your trespass against you. I'm not going to look at what you do. I'm going to tell you who you're created to be. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's being prophetic. Malachi 4, verses 5, verse 5. We're almost done. Whoop. I'm actually doing right on time. Malachi 4, 5. In the last days, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Right? In the last days. I'm going to go to it and just read it to you direct. I could quote it, I just don't want to. Behold, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse so that I will not 
not smite the lamb with a curse. He's begging you. That's what Paul said. I'm begging you to reconcile the world so that I don't have to come and smite the world with a curse. Too long the church has run around looking for something to curse instead of being the light. And we do it unknowingly. We don't even realize we're doing it because if you're not being the light, it's, it's, it's just as bad as cursing the darkness. Just as bad. Not picking up your cross is just as bad as not seeing that there's a cross to pick up. All right? We've got to take that and go into the world and bring the light. All right, so we see that an Old Testament prophet who was called to judge, called to bring um, all kinds of famine, drought to the land, when he's put into the New Testament, I'll send you in the last days on this side of the cross, and what does he do? He reconciles families. He'll return the hearts of fathers to sons and sons to fathers. He brings it all together by grace. This is how we must begin to see the world in order to call them into their destiny. We are not pretending that people have no sin, nor are we ignoring the destructive nature of sin in the life of people and society. We are simply applying the payment for sin, the blood of Jesus, to their accounts. Right? Because what it says in, in Romans says it was a credit to Abraham righteousness. It was credit to him righteousness because he had faith. So we're not saying people don't sin. We're just crediting them the blood of Jesus. In other words, we are saying your sin account has been paid for in full. You are no longer held by this massive debt. I want to wrap this up with um, John chapter 8. And I am right on time, so... And then we're going to have some time of ministry real quick. John chapter 8. And the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, having set her in the center of the court. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, commands us to stone such woman. What do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with the finger and wrote in the ground, okay, so he's officially ignoring them. But when they persisted in asking him, he stood straight up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. It's interesting. And he was left alone and with the woman where she was, where she was, in the center of the court. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are those who condemn you? Did, or where are they? Did no one condemn you? Jesus said, No one. Or she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. We need you to recognize something. Jesus, Jesus pointed out that she was in sin. He didn't, he doesn't turn from your sin. He, he recognizes sin. He just doesn't condemn you for it. He empowers you. He says, go and sin no more. How many know when God speaks, the ability is there? When he said to that woman, go and sin no more, guess what she had the choice to do? Go and sin no more. He doesn't condemn her. I'm afraid that the body of Christ as a whole, we don't see the world, we see the world caught in their act of adultery, so to say. And we keep coming before the Lord and throwing them in the middle and saying, they deserve to be judged. And Christ is saying, no, I don't condemn them. There will be a judgment day. Let's recognize that. But it's not today. Today he's reconciling. All right? You live in the great and glorious days of the Lord. Not the great and terrible day of the Lord. All right, there is a day coming. 
But these days are great and glorious, going from glory to glory.